land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk not to ruin, but it is Sukkah. Welcome hey. uh, to Yada Ya. Happy Sukkah to uh, one and all. This is the time we get to camp out with Ya. Our program tonight will be on uh, Sukkah. Understand that our our social media outreach is to uh, Ireland, um, where I have uh, ancestry. So uh, welcome to our Irish uh, friends. Uh, for those uh, living in the United States, uh, there's a battle royale that is being uh, set up um, regarding the uh, debt ceiling. Debt ceiling was something that when we went to fiat money, uh, 1917, uh, was created to give uh, the Congress flexibility to uh, indebt our children. And back what, 20 or 33 years ago, 1990, 33 years ago, Kirk, that's uh, not quite as, uh, um, as old as you are, um, the, the, the debt ceiling of the United States was $3.2 trillion. At 1990, $3.2 trillion. Today, 31 I was going to say 30 plus. <laughs> 31 trillion. It is uh, it's astonishing. There is uh, something uh, afoot that uh, I, uh, I didn't see, and uh, my wife brought it to me this morning. It's actually headline news uh, in a number of places around the world. But uh, the Russians uh, have managed to turn this whole sanction thing into a financial boon for them. Uh, you know, they're much more trade now and, and uh, huge uh, oil transport deal into China, lots more trade with uh, Iran. Uh, and they've decided that this pipeline thing through the Ukraine, which is was the only thing to keep the uh, Ukrainian economy afloat. Uh, that there's just no reason to continue with it, and it you know comes out so that it feeds uh, Germany, and they say yeah they're not being very nice to us, so we, we've got a new idea. Cut it out, Jimmy. 
Yeah. yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to take a pipeline, we're going to bring it through Turkey. And then from Turkey, we're going to go through Greece and then branch out into Europe through, guess where? Macedonia. And so the articles are wow. talking about how big a boon this would be and the position it would put Macedonia. Uh, you see, Turkey is not an EU member, so they can have the pipeline go through Turkey all day long. And Macedonia is not an EU member, so they can let the Russians build it and be the beneficiaries of transit fees. Greece, however, is a EU member at great odds with the EU right now. Greece and the United and the European Union are not getting along at all. And the European Union says that if you build a pipeline through any one of our states, we own it. We control it. You give up rights to it. And so uh, it puts Greece in a showdown. It also puts Macedonia in a showdown with Russia saying that ever since they began to pursue this, the United States has pushed all the possible levers to try to sway Macedonia into their fold. Uh, and now we're going to see what leverage the EU places on Greece and what NATO places on Turkey, because we can't stand that sort of thing. But when we keep in mind that the Torilus one is going to emerge from Macedonia and that he is said to uh, that he will garner control over uh, three uh, kingdoms. Boy, we certainly have now Bulgaria, wow. we have Greece, uh, we uh, have um, uh, Turkey, all countries, including Macedonia, that are on the throes of economic collapse, all that will be tied into this Russian consortium for fuel, which will be the money of the, uh, of the next decade. So quite interesting as to what's happening, uh, and particularly in uh, Macedonia, where the government is embroiled in a major political scandal, wiretapping uh, and the, uh, the like, the, the economy is, uh, is uh, failing uh, horribly. It has about as many people in Macedonia as there are in San Diego. Uh, and, of course, we know what's happening in, uh, in Turkey and Greece, where uh, both countries are in economic peril. Mm -hmm. uh, Putin has said that the, one of the reasons he wishes to do that is that Turkey has proven to be the most reliable route for gas supplies to Europe. So the Turk Stream pipeline is uh, going to be the new uh, feeder. The World Bank announced uh, this week that Macedonia, not, not Macedonia, but Ukraine, and I always say the Ukraine, and, and I'm constantly corrected and says, no, 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 it's just Ukraine now. Well, it's just Ukraine now by the blithering idiots that uh, took over after the riots of uh, 2013 and didn't want to be known as the Ukraine anymore because they were now independent of Russia. And so they were not the Ukrainian region of Russia, but simply Ukraine. Now, back in the day, they were making those statements. The World Bank and the Russians were fighting over who was going to give them 
the two or three billion dollars they needed of uh, of cash influx to keep their uh, uh, their graft ridden government afloat. And one of the things that I've, I've said even then that it makes total sense to give them back to Russia because Russia, with the pipeline running through it, has a way to get paid back. And it is certain that if we turn them over to the International Monetary Fund, they will welch on the debt, and that will be more billions of dollars each year that the United States has to pay out. So <laughs> with the, uh, the U.S.-sponsored war in the Ukraine, do you know what the bill is now that the Ukrainians are looking for uh, for international monetary funding and U.S. funding to uh, recover? Three hundred and forty-nine a billion. Once upon a time, three billion would have bought you the country. <laughs> now it'll take three hundred. And $49 billion just to repair it. That's 1.5 times the size of Ukraine's pre-war economy, which has shrunk 35% this year alone. Mm. So are the plans of the, the mighty. Uh, Joe Biden is in a heck of a pickle with Mikey, the uh, Mohammed of uh, uh, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. You know, he, uh, after uh, fist pumping uh, with uh, Mikey on his uh, great sojourn, where Mikey said, everything that he claims to have succeeded here did not happen. None of it. So I don't know what he's taking credit for, but none of that was agreed upon while he was here. Well, the other day, Joe Biden, not learning his lessons, I guess he's senile, uh, asked Mikey, who oh, my call Mikey. That's what the name that he used when he was a pimple-faced kid in the United States, um, bragging about killing his maids long before he killed Khashoggi. Uh, anyway, Mikey is, uh, is bragging, uh, or not bragging, he, Mikey is reporting that Joe Biden called him and said, we need a concession from you on this most recent uh, constriction of oil supplies so that the price of oil can go down between now and the midterm elections, at which time, if you need to take it back up, so be it. In other words, Joe Biden didn't give a crap about America, the economy. All he wanted was to save face, to look like a hero, and to have the Saudis release more oil so that the price would go down. And then they could do whatever they wanted. Well, guess what? Mikey doesn't like Joe Biden very much. He went and released to the media. This is what he asked for. Isn't that despicable? <laughs> there is an wow. interesting piece out on uh, the crown prince that is actually to his credit. And you know, nobody is all bad. Nobody is all good. Uh, this fellow is uh, largely bad, but not all bad. Um, I happen to like uh, live golf, if uh, if you are familiar. But um, he, um, uh, according to those who actually oversaw the deal, the Abraham Accords, they weren't Trump's idea. 
They weren't Kirshner's idea. They weren't Pompano's idea. Do you know who the real sponsor was of the Abraham Accords that have fundamentally changed? Crown Prince. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mohammed, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. And he did it because he recognized that even with hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. weaponry, he alone could not shut down the Iranian nuclear threat and that the Israelis alone could not shut down the Iranian nuclear threat and that clearly the United States wasn't up to it. So the only hope for survival was to form an alliance with the Israelis. And since Saudi Arabia, as the home of Mecca, couldn't do it directly, he did it indirectly through proxies so that even airspace to the Israelis so that they could take care of business. Brilliant, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. So the things that you learned that you never knew were the case previously. Uh, I remember how uh, upset I was when, uh, I think it's Ben and Teller, was that the big, tall, doofus guy and the little yeah. uh, weaselly fellow that were the comedians. And they began a, mm-hmm. uh, a show once and saying, you know, uh, this whole thing of, uh, of, um, of Jews being in, uh, captives in Egypt and of the Exodus, there's absolutely never no evidence for it didn't happen. And that has been a scholastic point of view as well. And uh, then a number of things happened where they found, of course, uh, overwhelming evidence of a huge Jewish population in uh, Goshen, along with, um, with proof that all of the things that are claimed in the Torah actually occurred. The reason I bring this up is that uh, there has been um, considerably more uh, research done. And one of them is on a cartouche that has been reanalyzed that is the seal of Joseph. Wow. Found at Tel Ed-Daba, which was where uh, essentially avarice, which is where he was um, a viceroy. Uh, And it shows everything that you could want to know about uh, uh, the great man. Uh, Shows him of of Israeli, it tells where his people came from, the number of uh, brothers in his uh, family. Very clear that He was there and that he was a very influential individual. They also found his home. And a lot of this has to do with a fellow that that I respected when the scholars were uh, shooting spitwads at him, David Roll. Uh, His book, Mm -hmm. uh, It's About Time, is uh, one that I would highly recommend. Uh, David Roll found this this site at Tel Adaba and was able to show that everything that was claimed in the Torah accounts was precisely accurate, including the killing of the boys, the, the, uh, the uh, brick, uh, uh, mud bricks, and, and what they had uh, built. And he also found Joseph's home, 
I have now looked at a reconstruction of Joseph's home. It is much more magnificent than anything I've ever seen in the ancient world. It, really? Uh, yeah, it's, it is definitely worth checking out. Can we put it on the site? Yeah, so uh, with, with that news, um, I'd like to share a little bit of, uh, of Tabernacles, but I think uh, Dee, who's listening in here and maybe uh, joining us, would be upset with me if, I, if uh, I didn't mention what I've been doing this week. Um, <laughs> oh, my. Uh, I think I mentioned last week that I've, uh, I, for the last few weeks, I've been translating Daniel. And it's for volume nine of uh, the Yada Yada series. And that uh, I began in the seventh chapter of, uh, of Daniel, and as I made my way into the eighth, and I had to, because of something that was said, go all the way to the twelfth, I shared last week that I learned that neither Gabriel, Gabriel, and Makael, Michael, they were not Malak. Well, certainly not archangels, not spiritual beings at all. They're um, men. And I learned their identity. And I, I thought that was not pretty good for a day's work. <sighs> Understatement. Not too shabby. And then, and then the sky fell. And then the sky fell. Uh, the sky fell because of of something that Daniel wrote. Uh, all the way along, I am just exasperated with it. I mean, he's calling Yahweh the Lord. He doesn't want to use Yahweh's name. Uh, he is constantly begging Yahweh for one thing after another. He's constantly yabbering. He's never listening. He doesn't understand anything he's saying. I mean, the guy is uh, more religious than and It's just so irritating. And then he begins the uh, the chapter by saying that in the, I think it's the third year of Darius, the Mede, the uh, son of Xerxes. And I'm going, say what? Uh, the king of, of uh, Babylon at the time, Nabonus, was... Uh, was an absentee king, so his uh, son, uh, Belshazzar, mm-hmm. was, uh, was essentially the viceroy of, uh, of Babylon. And that one was taken captive, the other was killed uh, during Cyrus's uh, conquest. Uh, Darius was the third king of the Persian Empire. He did not, as the chronology and, and Daniel say, precede Cyrus. He came after Cyrus. He was not the son of Xerxes. He was Xerxes' father. He was not a Mede. Uh, the person with the Mede was actually Cyrus uh, on his uh, uh, grandfather's side. Uh, and so I'm reading this and saying, these are exceedingly famous individuals. Darius the Great, Cyrus the Great, Xerxes. I mean, you don't get in history much more famous than those, those guys. And all of the other prophets get their chronology correct, uh, the transitions of power, what they uh, said and did. 
So why is it upside down in the book of Daniel? And why in the 10th chapter does Daniel say in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia? Cyrus didn't become involved in Babylon until the 20th year of his reign. It was the 20th year of Cyrus as the king of Persia that uh, he entered um, Babylon. Didn't stay very long either. He went off thereafter and chased uh, nomads uh, east of the Caspian Sea, uh, kidnapped uh, the queen's son. There was a queen that ran, a, a, uh, was in charge of a group of nomads there, and she was one tough lady. Uh, he um, captured her son. He committed suicide over the treatment, and she vowed to kill him. And she put him uh, in, a, uh, in a concrete box, uh, uh, you know, about the size of, of two, uh, three square feet, right after he said that he was uh, king of the four corners of the world. Uh, don't mess with a mama bear's kid, uh, is the moral of that story. But he didn't spend hardly any time in Babylon. <laughs> it was the 20th year by the time here. And you're saying, no. And then in the opening of the 10th chapter, he says that his name is Balthazar. Balthazar means, may the Lord Baal protect the king. Mm -hmm. uh, so now, Not flattering. we have an absolute inversion of history, known history, that every one of Yahweh's prophets gets right, so it's a deliberate error. Why? So I decided to go back and read the story again of how Daniel got the name Balthazar, may the Lord protect the king. And reread and reread and reread the first six chapters of Daniel. He came to realize what the story really is. Daniel's a, an exemplar for the emergence of rabbinic Judaism and for Roman Christianity. He is the embodiment of of what Babylon does to people. I'm not sure he ever got his act right. But he has politicized religion. And it's really interesting that when you, uh, when you read it, um, and you'll find that the sixth chapter of Babylon, of, uh, of what happened in Babylon during uh, uh, Daniel's recounting of it, the whole story that led to and after the alleged lion's den, which never happened, by the way, is, reads almost identically to the story in the Christian New Testament of, of how uh, the, uh, the empowered priestly types were conniving against uh, Daniel. They wanted him to be put to death by the king. They went to the king and spoke against him. Then they set up a trial where he was judged, and while he was being judged, they shouted all sorts of nastiness about him slandering him. He was then, even though the king says, I find him totally innocent, nothing wrong with him, totally perfect, I'm going to kill him anyway. <laughs> Just like Pontius Pilate. He's uh, slated to uh, die a gruesome death, and miraculously he rises uh, as the stone is rolled away in the morning. It's all the Christian New Testament. And so you're reading this and saying, I get it. 
This man wasn't a prophet. He was a note taker. And his life represents not what's good and righteous, but everything that was wrong with Babylon. He is a prophecy in and of himself. I hope over the next month we'll be able to uh, to post what we have uh, learned because there are some really interesting insights. Uh, one of which, by the way, isn't is that um, the one who is uh, anointed uh, and the uh, the uh, says that the most set apart is anointed. Uh, that's the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, and the one doing the anointing is the Messiah, Toad. And then it talks about how the Messiah is cut off. He is demeaned and uprooted uh, uh, from uh, what he really represents. Again, not based on what's true about him. It's replacement theology. And how both Christians and Jews robbed Dode of what he represents in the family. And that's what made God so angry. So it's a really interesting read. I uh, promise that uh, I'm right now just beginning the 10th chapter, in the 10th chapter, and we will uh, get it posted before uh, very long. But it, it has made for a very interesting uh, few, uh, few days. Is that fair enough, uh, Dee? You've read uh, some of it. Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> I was a little disturbed at first. How, you know, how can this be? We went through Jacob and now Danielle. And uh, the more I read and the more it started to make sense. And then you hit me with the rewrite, which I read all of last night until four in the morning. I couldn't put it down. It was fabulous. Yeah, and then you really rewritten amazing. it again. So. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing. And one of the things that is really amazing about the whole thing is that uh, throughout the story, uh, there is a, a witness. Uh, the witness is identified in the end. It's uh, Makael. And the witness is one of the two witnesses in the last days, the one not named Delia. And, uh, uh, and he is proclaiming Dode's arrival, who is Gabrielle. And uh, Dode has some really wonderful things to say about the witness and advising Daniel and anyone who wants to understand to listen to what he has to say because he says he's figured it out. He'll explain it to you. Well, I am uh, dealing with with Daniel, who even in the ninth chapter gets everything wrong. And everything he says is wrong in the uh, the ninth chapter, and that's the first two thirds of it. He he's just wallowing all over his uh, tongue, um, and it takes some courage, I want to tell you, to stand up against someone who is believed to be one of the great prophets of Yahweh and to say, yeah. no, he's wrong. And uh, so Dode comes back into the scene. And you read it in English Bibles and it says, oh, you are so beloved. You're such a wonderful guy. That's why I came to see you. <laughs> no, that's not what it says at all. It says, you're whining, you're constant pleading, right from the beginning, has been sickening, annoying, and worrisome. It's time you started to think. 
And I have come at this point in time because you're just way too needy. We need to stop this. You've been given a job to do. Start doing it. To have Dode come into the scene and affirm what I thought was, well, I can share with you, no one in 2,600 years has dare said what I came to conclude. Mm -hmm. And to have Dode come in and say, yep, he's right. Boy, is that ever a, uh, was an appreciated gesture. So it's an, it's an amazing read. I uh, look forward to sharing it uh, with you. That's uh, probably the teaser here for, uh, for this evening. Uh, I was told that I was pretty intense uh, last week. Uh, this is a party uh, tonight. We're talking about Suka camping out with Yawa. Hopefully I won't be quite as uh, fiery, although I, I think most of our Sounds listeners good. actually appreciated the, the uh, fire that, uh, that comes by sharing God's word and trying to correct the record on um, particularly on, on Yom Kippurim, the Day of Reconciliation, because it is the date that religious Jews have messed up the most uh, with their torturing of chickens and twirling them above their heads. Uh, although the Esau of, of Sukkah is, uh, is really special, too. Well, called tabernacles, sometimes called tents, sometimes booths, the seventh and final mikra, which is an invitation to meet with God, is a result of the first six. Sukkah is a reward, both for us and for God. It's the summation of Yahweh's intent. We are offered the opportunity to camp out with our Heavenly Father, to explore the universe with our Creator. The final moed is symbolic of eternity of life with Yahweh on earth as it is restored to the conditions found in Eden and in heaven forevermore. I'm not sure you need to say a lot more about it than that. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> don't, don't like that. If there cool. wasn't so much to do between now and then, I'd be all over it. By the way, there is, there is something that is, uh, is uh, I think, deeply troubling. Uh, that is because the the prophetic aspects of Daniel, when you're when you just look at the prophecies that are reported in seven, uh, eight, the last uh, bit of nine, uh, ten, eleven, and twelve, and you get past all of the Daniel says this and that, but I Daniel say discard all that. The prophecies are amazing. One of the prophecies though that uh, Dode has, uh, and it's Dode is the prophet, uh, so. He, I can assure you he knows what he's talking about. That um, Dode says that the treaty that is uh, um, uh, brought to bear by the Torahless One, um, mm-hmm. and that is confirmed with many, which means it's UN 242, it's the, the basically take uh, Israel back to the 1967 uh, borders, uh, and it's the final solution. It's the, let's make Israel so vulnerable that uh, she is destroyed. Um, that that actually occurs seven years before the end, which would put it into the fall of 2026. Now, he's very clear, enormously clear, 
that the time of Jacob's troubles is three and a half years. So it's going to begin with the arrival of the two witnesses uh, right around uh, Passover. And, well, the witnesses are going to arrive right on Passover. Uh, I, I think that immediately thereafter on May Day is when uh, the Torahless One is going to uh, proclaim his uh, great abominations. The Torahless One is basically Satan incarnate. And he is uh, he's going to do uh, what uh, Rome wanted to do, which is to uh, outlaw Yahweh's name. The Roman Catholic Church has gone a long way to do that, uh, to outlaw the uh, the Mikre and to outlaw the Shabbat. Uh, and he's going to go one step further and declare himself God. Uh, and that will happen, I think, on May Day and uh, in 2030, about two weeks after the two witnesses arrive. But the treaty with many, which is the imposition of the final solution on Israel, um, is uh, going to take place in 2026. So uh, we don't have a lot of time. It's 2022 as we're broadcasting no. this particular wow. program for those who are listening in, uh, through an archive. So we do have a lot to accomplish and a short time to accomplish it. Now, similar to the uh, invitation to be called out and meet of Pesach, Passover, with Sukkah, there is a dress rehearsal and the main event. On Passover, Abraham's reliance upon Yahweh ushered in the covenant relationship. Yahweh said, I will provide the lamb. Then, exactly 40 Yobel, 2,000 years later, in exactly the same place on Mount Moriah, Yahweh deployed Yosha to fulfill that promise. He uh, actually put his nefesh consciousness into Yosha so that he could experience the pain, not only of the Passover lamb, but also of being taken to the place of separation. With Sukkah, the foreshadowing likely occurred on tabernacles in 2 BCE when Yahweh placed his nephesh soul within Yosha, God who was eternal, thus was not born on this day, but he began his fateful rendezvous with Pesach, consistent with the prophecy embedded in the fourth day of creation, the greater light became visible to us as a sign in conjunction with the appointed meeting times. God fulfilled that promise by camping out with his creation for 33 years, this visit culminating in 33 CE. It is exceedingly sad, and it is, uh, becomes front and center with what Dode has to tell us uh, as Gabriel uh, and the um, notes recorded by Daniel, uh, that God is exceedingly disappointed in his people because Christianity didn't need to exist. The greatest menace in the, in the history of his people, the longest-lived menace, the, the menace that is, is responsible for harassing them uh, for a greater period of time than any other, uh, is imperial Rome as it morphed into the final beast, the Roman Catholic Church. And it only exists because rabbis um, decided to confront the religion of Christianity the wrong way. 
rather than announcing that Yosha was the Passover lamb and that Dode was the Messiah and Son of God, and that and proving it by reading from the Torah and prophets, completely dismelling the myth that Paul was promoting, they decided to besmirch the Passover lamb. They associated with Yosha with the the devil, with Satan. And so they did exactly the opposite of what they should have done. And as a result, Christianity grew and flourished as the most anti-Semitic and counterproductive influence humanity would ever know. But the blame lies at the feet of the rabbis. And rabbinic Judaism and Christianity emerged at the same time in conflict with one another. And God is exceedingly angry at uh, those like Paul and Luke, Mark, who was co-opted by them, Matthew, also co-opted by them, uh, Eusebius, Constantine, Theodosius, and their like, uh, those who met at the Council of Nicaea, for replacement theology and for robbing his son of all of the promises God had made to him. It it is evident as we read through Daniel, and I'm going to stop on Daniel here in a second, but as you read Mm -hmm. through what Dode has to say, it becomes obvious that God is a lot less concerned about what we say about him when it's derogatory than he is when we besmirch his son. What Christianity and Judaism have done to doubt. And it has made Yahweh exceedingly angry. And it is exactly as we would expect. I mean, you can call me uh, every name in the book and I'm just going to laugh at you and, and go on my business. I probably won't even listen to you. But if you besmirch the reputation of my son, I'm going to be all over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was the same way. Okay. So, five days after Yahweh's return on Kippurim in 2033, year 6000 Yah, the millennial Shabbat will commence. It's going to uh, commence on a Shabbat. Uh, during the festival feast of shelter, and it will usher in a 1,000-year existence in the Garden of Eden, like paradise on earth. No governments, no religions, no militaries, uh, only Yahweh and a beautiful world in which to reside. During this time, God's going to camp out with his creation, and that is the story of Sukkah. I'm going to turn now to Kara. Uh, it's misnamed Leviticus. Uh, over, you know, the Loi were changed to the Levites, and because explaining the Mikra uh, is the role of the Loi, the book was uh, named after the Loi corrupted to Levites. The actual name of the book is Kara. Kara is a marvelous verb. It means to invite and to welcome, to summon and to greet, to meet, and two of my favorites, to read and recite. It begins with, and Yahweh spoke to Moshe. 
for the purpose of saying. So what we're hearing now is uh, not man's drivel. It isn't, but I, Moshe, say it is Yahweh. He says, converse, share words, Dabar, with the children of Yisrael to say on the 15th day of the seventh month is the festival feast, the Chag, of Sukkah, shelters for seven days to be near and to approach Yahweh. So I ask you, what's the purpose of Sukkah? Be with Yahweh. To be here and to approach yeah. Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. What month is Sukkah? The seventh. Seventh. So According how to can too. how can mm-hmm. Teruah, the first of the seventh month, be Rosh Hashanah? Unless you're more interested in the Babylonian New Year than you are in what Yahweh has to say. And why would you go from a time of affliction to a festival feast with the one who was afflicting you? But is there any other definition of chog but festival, party, feast, celebration? Not that we found. No. It's a festival feast of camping out together. Now, not everyone loves to uh, camp out. Um I once did. I'm now my preference is to camp out and and uh in my office with a view of the of the blue uh Caribbean Sea uh and have a door that keeps the mosquitoes on one side uh while I'm on the uh, the other. And you know this is my my suka uh where uh, where I write. But once upon a time when my sons were young I was I was a backpacker and I'd put on that backpack. I would take all of the dry light food. I, I, I had it all. And we would hike in the high Sierras around uh, uh, Yosemite, some of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, and I loved it. Um, I bet that was fun. And, you know, it was just, it's just so marvelous. And and I even liked uh, doing the uh, the tailgating version too, uh, and the uh, uh, the motorhome where you take it and you go into a campground and you could build a big roaring bonfire and roast marshmallows and and tell wonderful <laughs> stories and sing songs. I loved it. Um, Yahweh does too. And for a while, we're going to camp out around Jerusalem and uh, we'll build roaring bonfires and we will, uh, well, just to drive the rabbis who (laughs) won't be with us crazy, we'll probably roast marshmallows while we have our lamp. You know, in rabbinical Judaism, you have to have an eight-hour separation or four hours, depending on the version, and a separate sink, of course, and different plates of utensils. Definitely, it is uh, dairy versus uh, anything that is not dairy uh, on uh, rules that they made up uh, and pulled from their behind. But uh, nonetheless, we're going to have fun, and we are going to sing songs. The songs will likely be uh, variations of Dote's songs. Great songwriter. Yeah, I would love those songs. But that is what we're going to be doing. 
camping out together. Now, it is a really big campground. Um, the whole universe. You know, there are yeah. several hundred billion solar systems in our galaxy alone. Several hundred billion. Billion. Billion solar systems in our galaxy alone. And there are several hundred billion galaxies. Now, just think bigger than the of all of that, and it's all ours to explore, and we can get to any place in it instantly because with light, which we're going to be an energy-based being, with uh, light, time simply is, and speed is distance over time. So if time simply is, your speed becomes infinite. Distance become infinitely small. You can see it all. Uh, it's just going to be this wonderful time of exploration. And after the thousand years, which could seem like 15 seconds or uh, 15 billion years, uh, depending on how you choose to experience time, yeah, I was going to say, all right, all right, all right, okay. I don't want you to get tired of this one. We can do better, but this time we're going to do it together. And we're going to get to create a universe together. It's going to be grand fun. That is what we've been invited to do, If you're, um, of course, if you're interested. As for me, I, I plan to be there. I'd like and to I'm come. glad to know, by the way, I know another reference to uh, Daniel, that there will be no archangels, which means there's no um, hierarchy there. Well, there is in one sense. Dode is the ultimate king uh, and the ultimate shepherd and the ultimate counselor. I'm delighted that he has that responsibility. And for a while, we will, uh, we will work to uh, support him. So this is our destination. And this is the seventh and final invitation to meet with God. However, you don't get to meet with God by accepting sukha. You only get there if you have attended the invitation for Pesach, Matzah, and Bakudam, collectively Chag Matzah. You have grown and been enriched and enlightened and empowered as a result of Shabuah, the promise of seven. And hopefully you've contributed to Teruah, where we share Yahweh's message. Tell the religious and the political that they're heading away from God and towards their own demise while sharing the path home. But if not, for a remnant of Yisrael and Yahud, Jews and Israelite, there is a second chance, and that second chance is the Day of Reconciliation, Yom Kippur. Those are the only ways to get an invite into Sukkah. No one else will be there. So, we should not be surprised that because of uh, this seventh Mekre happening in the seventh month, that lasts for seven days, that Shabbat, seven, also means sworn, sworn oath. This is God's vow or promise to us. Even the Ha-Chemesh Asar Yom, 15th day, is relevant because the 10th letter is a Yod, 
and the fifth is the hay. Together they spell Yah. Sukkah is Yah's promise, telling us that the seventh day is a time that we have been invited to camp out with him. Doesn't that tell you a little bit about the Shabbat too? You know, uh, religious mm-hmm. Jews have found uh, a thousand ways to annoy themselves by making elaborate work out of doing nothing on uh, the uh, Shabbat. But yeah, I was saying, no, 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 no. I'm telling you all about it here. It's about camping out together. It's about having a festival feast together. It's about partying together. It's about celebrating the relationship together. I mean, Shabbat is a verb, actually, uh, after all. It's actionable. Yes. Shabbat is the basis of Shabbat, uh, the concluding and most wonderful day of the week. The celebration of the seventh day is a time to enjoy our relationship with our Heavenly Father, to revel in the covenant family, to camp out together as I did with my boys when we were younger. Collectively, therefore, Shabbat, Shabbat, and Sukkah Revealed that Yahweh has made a promise to us associated with the seventh day. His formula is very straightforward. It's the same pattern throughout everything he does. It is six, which represents the mankind because we were conceived on the sixth day. We're also a carbon-based life form with the with molecular weight of six plus one. God is one, there is one God, equals the desired result, which is celebrating life together in a perfect world. Seven. God who is one plus man who was created on the sixth day equates to the ideal result. A derivation of uh, Sukkah, Sukkoth, is first used, and that all Sukkoth means is all things pertaining to Sukkah is first used in Barashith, Genesis 33:17, And it is here when we probe the meaning of each word that we find our introduction to the purpose of the Mikra of Sukkah. It reads, So Jacob, meaning reward or consequence, was led to Sukkoth, all things pertaining to Sukkah, and he built for himself a house, and then he made shelters for his possessions. Therefore, the name of this home and dwelling place where his ascension began is invited and summoned, read aloud and recited, Kara, the basis of Mikra, as Sukkot, all things pertaining. When Jacob arrived and was included within this close personal fellowship, Shalem, he awakened early in the day to show the way to get the most enjoyment out of life in the realm of the subdued, the Canaan. And he, as he came from, having been delivered and elevated. I... Just a small thing, but um, most of Yahweh's prophets and 
the people that he engages with in a meaningful way, like Jakob, have something in common. They're all early risers. They get up before the first light of day, and when it is uh, dark, they're ready to retire. All of them. Dode in particular, man, he was always up before dawn, eager to go, fresh, best time of the day. Um, I sit in this chair um, eh, 10, 12, 14 hours a day uh, doing this. Now I have a lighted computer screen, and you know I can work well into the night. But my favorite time is to come before the sun rises and get an hour or so before there is any disturbance anywhere. And it's just perfectly quiet, and the light around me and the view becomes so much brighter. It's a wonderful time. It's something that all of Yahweh's um, most kind of uh, endearing uh, co-workers, prophets, and the like uh, mirror. Now, uh, my uh, my bride is not a morning person. I understand, Dee, that uh, you uh, and she talk well into the night, and you're not much of oh, a morning yeah. person either by uh, by comparison, and that's okay. You know, it's, I'm just telling you that this is a a common trait among uh, these people that is that is. Uh, brought out often. It's shakam is the word. It's the same word for shoulder, by the way, in, uh, in Hebrew. Um, so it is, uh, it is just an interesting commonality, and I think it's an attitudinal thing as to um, what we wish to, uh, uh, how we wish to begin our day, because we're all limited in how many hours we can work and how much rest we, uh, we need. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, I think it's just, I do mine kind of in reverse. Um, same principle, I'll stay up well after my children are in bed to do exactly what you're doing. And sometimes mm-hmm. I see the sunrise at the end yes. of my day and go to sleep with it. So it's yes. definitely interesting. I, I had this thought one time that somewhere in the world between uh, the covenant family, somebody's probably reading Yahweh's words at any given point of the of the day. Oh, of course, yes. I think so. Yeah, ab- yeah Absolutely. So he camped out, having been treated mercifully, along with the presence of the awakened and arisen. Well, this is the the feast for eyes, really. It's uh, when we look around uh, beyond the names and the superficial meanings of these words to their roots, which portray their original connotations, Yahweh is providing us with a map home. No matter where we are, even surrounded by the politically and religiously subjugated, we can answer Yahweh's invitation to camp out with him on Sukkah, awakened and arisen. And it is the case that with most of the terms that are found in Yahweh's testimony, God has a propensity to define them in their first use. We find this is true with the festival of shelters. It's about camping out with God and living mercifully under his protection. Even the Yatza, the Exodus, began with a trip to Sukkoth. Uh, This is what led them there. The text reads, And the religious and political oppressors, Mitzrayim, were intensely resolute with the people and hurriedly sent them on their way, 
out of the region where they said, oh, we're all going to die. <laughs> they stay here. Get out. I don't care what yeah. the pharaoh says. <laughs> They're going. So the people uh, brought along their dough before it was yeasted. And there was a return of the grievous sorrow of uh, oppression. They had their kneading bowls bound up in their garments and upon their shoulders to get an early start. Now, if you were to listen to 99.999% of people on this, what they'll say is, you know, they were in a hurry to get going. You had a long way to go, and so... Uh, they didn't have time to yeast the uh, the bread, and isn't that a swell story? So you can eat unyeasted bread in commemorance with the fact that they were in a hurry to leave. Not what it says. That's not what it means. It begins by telling you what it means. They were in the religious and political crucibles. They were being embittered by this exceedingly hostile and oppressive regime. Mitzrayim represents the thing from which they were being let out, from which they were being separated. And so the thing they were leaving behind is the yeast. The thing that they were leaving behind is the oppression of religion and politics. That's what they were leaving behind. That's why it wasn't in the bread, is because they were leaving that. And so matzah represents the removal of the fungus that is so pervasive, particularly with the institutionalizing and integration of religion and politics. It is Babylon, which is why God begs us his people to leave Babel before it is too late and to come home. So that's why they didn't yeast the bread, is they were leaving all of that behind, or so was the thought. They had their kneading bowls bound up in their garments. When the children of Israel had engaged, consistent with Moshe's message, and they asked the religious despots and political tyrants for implements and cooking vessels, things considered valuable, along with objects of gold in addition to clothing. They were provided. Yahweh bestowed and granted for the family a sense of empathy, resulting in a favorable and compassionate disposition in the sight of the oppressors, such that they let them have what they requested. Thereby, they spared Mitzrayim. Accountability is a, uh, an important part of being fair. And uh, so is recompensed by the people of Mitzrayim saying, you worked as slaves here. The least we can do is give you what we have. We'll give you our personal gold, our jewelry, our utensils, everything we have of value. Consider that our recompense. And Yahweh viewed it as such. It's a wonderful uh, part of the, of the story. Mm-hmm. 
So the children of Israel set out from Ramses. Ramses is in uh, Avaris. It's where these digs have taken place. They have proven David Rule correct in his uh, research and proven the Torah, which is far more important, correct through uh, what they have uncovered there. So they set out from Ramses, not to the pharaoh named Ramses. Ramses was the, the name of the city, which was named after the son of the sun. Ramesses means son of the sun and Egyptian. From Ramesses to Sukkoth, with approximately 600,000 able individuals on foot besides little children. They baked the dough that they had brought out of the crucibles of oppression as flat loaves of unyeasted, of matzah bread, because there was no embitterment added. Now, they left it behind because they had been expelled. They had been driven out. They had been cast out, and they had cast out the yeast along with them from Mitzrayim, the crucibles of political and religious oppression, and they would not have prevailed if they delayed, if they lingered, if they brought the yeast with them, the chemets, the embittering nature of religion and politics, they wouldn't have prevailed a day, much less the 40 years, much less these... 3,450. Moreover, they had not done anything to prepare food or provisions for themselves. That's because the lesson was to trust and rely on Yahweh. The time interval of the children of Yisrael in which they remained in the realm of Mitzrayim was 30 years and 400 years, the first 30, they were uh, guests. The last 400, they were slaves. Can you imagine the reparations that Egypt would otherwise have to pay? And then it came to pass at the completion of 30 years and, and 400 years in this very substantial, essential, and foundational day it came to be that everyone who was part of the vast assemblage of individuals following their leader, Yahweh, came out from the realm of the religious and political persecution and tyranny. What is the essential day? Matzah. The doorway to mm-hmm. life was opened at Pesach, but the essential day, the day where religion was sponged from them and left behind... Always matzah, yeah. And yet, if you were to look at a Jewish celebration of this, they celebrate Passover, and all matzah is now as a missing ingredient. But according to Yahweh, the essential day is matzah for what it represents, and Pesach is incorporated into matzah. In fact, the seventh days of Chag matzah include Pesach. Mm -hmm. Of course, it includes Bukurim as well. Now, when it comes to sukkah, camping out with God, there is more to the experience than the destination itself. Yahweh told us about this story so that we might also appreciate from whence we have come. 
This contrast equips us with a better understanding of the difference between what humans, and through religion and politics, and God, through his Torah, are offering. Which voice are you going to listen to? Shra'im, the crucibles of religious and political oppression, to Sukkos, all things camping out. Out of religious and political oppression, to spending quality time with God. Quite, an, quite a promotion. There is an interesting adjunct to uh, this, too, that I always like sharing. It not only serves to amalgamize the conditions of the covenant with the decision to capitalize upon the Mikre. This statement brings all of this together, uh, whether Ezra or Gur. It is also emphatic that there is only one Torah. As such, this declaration, which was presented to Israel days prior to Moshe inscribing the Torah that was dictated by Yahweh, forestalls the central planks of rabbinic Judaism. There could not have been a second oral Torah, and thus a Talmud under these conditions. Each had means one, and that's all each had means. Also, the rabbinic insistence upon excluding Goyim who do not convert to Judaism from the benefits of inclusion and citizenship in Israel is contrary to Yahweh's instructions. It also affirms that Israel was called to do what they have long foregone. The entire community of eternal witnesses, Kol Ida, of Yisrael, individuals who engage and endure with God, should, on their own initiative, observe every aspect of it. Shamar Eth Hugh. And if a foreigner, a Gur, living as a guest, congregating together with you, acts upon and engages in Wa'atha, Pesach, Passover, for what purpose? To approach Yahweh, every mm-hmm. male must be circumcised. And then at that time, he may approach and engage in it. Or we read the rest of it. God is saying that you do not need to convert to the Jewish religion. He is saying that if you wish to engage in Passover whether you are a Gur foreigner or a naturally born Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob, the criterion that you must pass as a man is circumcision. Why circumcision? Because circumcision is the fifth and final condition of the covenant. If you are not a member of the covenant, if you haven't chosen to walk away from Babel, from religion and politics, if you haven't chosen to trust and rely upon Yahweh, if you have not decided to allow Yahweh to perfect you by walking to him in this manner, if you have not agreed to closely examine and carefully consider specifically what Yahweh is offering and expects in return, 
relative to the covenant and have not demonstrated this by being circumcised and by circumcising your sons on the eighth day so that they also remember, then you're not welcome. As a matter of fact, it's far more than you're not welcome on Pesach because Pesach would be counterproductive for you. It's the worst of all possible options. To do what the rabbis are doing, which is to celebrate Pesach and forego matzah, to do what Christians are doing, which is to acknowledge that something happened on Passover, but to completely ignore matzah is something, well, it's a fate worse than death. Because those who capitalize on Pesach and forego matzah become eternal, but also eternally flawed. And thus they will spend their eternity separated from Yahweh in the place of separation called Sheol. So Yahweh is too compassionate for that. He said, just don't do it unless you understand what it means to be part of the covenant. Unless you've chosen to be part of the covenant, do not engage in Pesach. It's bad for you. If you understand that that Pesach falls under the umbrella of Chagmatza, and you're going to expunge religion from your soul, by all means, then I want you to enjoy it, and it doesn't matter to me if you're a native-born or a foreigner. Eternal life, being perfected, being having religion and politics removed from your soul, and becoming a child in my family is for yours to take. It's a marvelous uh, presentation of precisely mm-hmm. what God is offering. Then at that time, he may approach and he can engage in it. And it will be the same for the native-born individual, the Ezra of the land. Therefore, any uncircumcised person shall not consume it or eat of it. I mean, this is the uh, the line that Yahweh has drawn in the sand. Yeah. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. It doesn't say who needs to do the cutting. It says it should be on the eighth day. But if you're an adult and it wasn't done by your parents on the eighth day, you can pick any day. You can pick any amount. You can pick anyone. All that matters is to understand the concept and make an effort to be circumcised. That's what Yahweh wants us to do, because if we, uh, as we men tend to do, have uh, uh, overly value that part of our anatomy, and we recognize that it is what we use to join together with the woman in our life that we love. Uh, it is not only how we show our affection, enjoy her affection, but also how we conceive children and children that, that begin a new life uh, protected and nourished, enlightened, loved within our family and home. It is the place that Yahweh says, I know if I make this the sign of the covenant, you all are going to pay attention. 
And so it is the sign of the covenant, the fifth requirement of the God's not making an exception. And if you're going to participate in Pesach, Matzah, and Bakudim, enjoy Shabuah, Teruah, and Kippurim, and finally have this opportunity to camp out with Yahweh, well, you know what God's requirements are. And he is emphatic. You're not going to get him to compromise. There was and will always be only one Torah. Here, here. For the native individual, Laha Ezra, and for the foreigner, Walaha Ger, living as a guest and congregating among you. Well, there's two uh, very, very serious uh, thoughts there. One is that rabbinic Judaism is dead wrong. There is only one Torah. There is no Talmud. They're so disgusting. They have, to give it credibility, they have named their rabbinic rubbish the Torah when it is the Babylonian Talmud. And from God's lips to our ears, there is only one Torah. By the same token, there can be no Christian New Testament under these circumstances either. There's not something special or different for the Goyim. Paul lied. There is one Torah. It is for everyone, just as there is one covenant and one God whose name is Yahweh. If you were the least bit interested in entering Yahweh's heavenly door and living with Yahweh, that journey begins by throwing away the Babylonian Talmud. And if you're a Jew and dislike the idea of sharing the door to life with Goyim, who seek to be included, along with those who engage and endure with God, I'd strongly suggest that you change your attitude and you align your thinking with God. The other thing that we have to be really careful of here is those who are conspiratorial, who like to besmirch Israel. Well, this said that that Torah, and therefore Pesach, Matzah, and Bakudim, and Yahweh are for the foreigner who live as guests among Yisrael. Mm-hmm. They're not for those who oppose Yisrael, not for those who besmirch and subjugate Yisrael. It's for the foreigners who live as guests among Israel. If you are anti-Semitic, you have no place in Yahweh's family or home. Just as I told you that Yahweh is far more offended when we rob his son, Dote, our Messiah and King, mm-hmm. of all of the accolades and promises and honors that Yahweh has bestowed upon him. The children are Israel or his family too. And so while God will chastise them for their wayward behavior and for their religiosity, that's for him to do as their father. If anybody else does it other than to cite his words and his instructions towards them, then there's a price to pay. 
They are his children, after all. Tell your children about this day, saying, for the sake of the participants who benefit from this occasion, Yahweh engaged to do this for me when I came out and was removed from the crucibles of oppression. Who did it? Yahweh. Yahweh. Not Allah. Not Jesus. Not your fellow man. Not the local environmentalist. Not Elon Musk even. Yahweh. Tell your children about this day. Saying that for the sake of the participants who benefit from this occasion, Yahweh engaged to do this for me. When we came out, were removed from the crucibles of religious and political oppression. And it shall exist on your behalf as an awe-inspiring sign, an oath, a symbol designed to communicate an essential truth for your hand, for your influence and your actions. And it represents a memorial reminder and a commemoration for retrospection, depicting a record of something worth recalling, a zacharone for comprehension between your eyes. Uh, Of course, the rabbis would tell (coughs) the idiots that believe them, you need to put a box on the back of your hand and another one between your eyes between and your eyes, forehead. Yeah. <clears throat> so wow. we'll be able to quickly identify who is really stupid. <laughs> Go. Very good. Are they, are they completely incapable of recognizing what the hand represents, what the eyes represent? Eyes, your ability to be observant. Eyes, your ability to have the proper perspective, your hands, the, the, the things that you use to do things, to engage, to write, to hold the book and read. Mm-hmm. If Yahweh's Torah exists and these days exist to guide what you do and what you see, what you observe, what you read, then you're going to get the fullness out of life. Or you could build a black box and tape it to your forehead, put another one wrapped around your arm like it was a snake. Whatever one, you know, trips your trigger. Uh, the purpose is so that the Torah teaching and guidance, yeah, Torah does not mean law, it means source of teaching, guidance, instructions, and directions. It's from the Hebrew verb yara. Of Yahweh. Not of the rabbis. Of Yahweh. Not laws. Teaching and guidance. Exists in your mouth and thus in your speech. So why don't those nincompoops put another box in their mouth? That would preclude them from slobbering all over one another. Saying stupid stuff. Sorry. That's where the box goes. 
is in your mouth. So the first two are literal, and the third one is the metaphor. Oh, I get it. The purpose is so that the Torah teaching and guidance of Yahweh exists in your mouth and thus is part of your speech. How is that going to happen if you put the saying in a little black box that's on your forehead or on the back of your hand? Don't you have to hold the Torah in your hand and to look at it with your eyes for it to provide Yahweh's teaching and guidance? Any benefit? Yeah. And for what Yahweh says to influence what you say? Uh, I mean, this is not rocket science. Seems pretty straightforward to me. I'm, I'm not a rabbi. I can certainly read what God has to say. And I would encourage you to do so too. Indeed, because the powerful, strong, and resolute hand of Yahweh brought you out, removing and delivering you from the oppressive nature of religion and politics. Yatza is the Hebrew word that was changed to Exodus. It means mm-hmm. to withdraw, to deliver. And the hand of Yahweh that is so resolute, powerful, and strong is Jazak. Capable and unyielding, courageous, firm, encouraging and sustaining, consistent and persistent. Why did Yahweh, who was an advocate of free will, use such a forceful approach? Because he was dealing with people who didn't know him. He was dealing with people who had treated Moshe who tried to protect them so badly that he knew he couldn't trust them. He knew that in this moment he had to overpower their reluctance, their pig-headedness, their inertia, their fear, overcome their ignorance. And it's one of the very few times that Yahweh says, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm going to have to interfere with free will here. I'm going to drag them out kicking and screaming. My people must be free. They must be free to know who I am, what I'm offering them. They must be free to write my Torah, to live it. They must be free to enter my home. And the only way we're going to get to do this is if I lead them out with a strong hand. And, you know, when we're children, that is what we need from our fathers, from our mothers, is a strong mm-hmm. hand. We don't need someone that's going to be loosey-goosey and say, hey, grab hold if you want to. If you don't want to, that's, that's okay. I don't really care. You know, go and run on the play on the street. Uh, Give me see how it works for you. Yeah. No. We hold on to our children tightly, particularly when we're in a, a situation that is hostile. The more hostile the situation, the more we're almost like to grab it so hard we, we darn near bruise it, trying to hold on to them, protecting them, mm-hmm. getting their attention. This is the kind of hand that uh, Yahweh used. I wonder if there was a phylactery on the back of a little black box with um, one of his uh, 
Torah statements? Uh, I no. Don't know. Maybe not. No. Probably not. Okay. All right. So the purpose is, the purpose of all of this, of these special days, particularly this one day, is so that you would know the Torah teaching and guidance of Yahweh, and that his words would be your words. And you would understand that God led us away from religious and political oppression. That he delivered us from oppressive religion and politics. Therefore, closely examine, carefully consider, explore and observe this clearly communicated written prescription of what you should do in life to live. Washamar, which is to observe, Eth Ha Chuka. Chuka is an inscription which is chiseled in stone regarding the process of being cut into the relationship. Drawing near during this eternal witness to the appointed meeting time. Ha Zoth La Moet. It's a lot. These are the events, of course, that lead to Sukha. Doing so for days upon days. He didn't say do so until Jesus comes or since that Paul or Akiba or Mamamides could say otherwise. Do so forevermore. Yomim, Yomim. God's pretty clear when he uh, talks to us. And he mm-hmm. does not change his mind. He is not capricious. We can rely on what he has had his prophets write. And therein lies the problem of rabbinic Judaism. Their Talmud, their Mishnah and Zohar supersede the word of God. Their holidays have become more important than God's chalk, his Moed, his Mikre. One hundred thousand will run into a tomb and ignite bonfires to venerate the long-deceased contributed contributor to the Talmud and Zohar, but not one, not one, will lift a finger, blink an eye, or say a word on behalf of Yah. And it shall come to exist that when Yahweh brings you to the land of Canaan, that it will be according to his sworn oath and promise to you and to your fathers, giving it to you. And when it occurs that your child asks in the future, saying, what is this all about? Say to him or her, by the powerful and strong hand of Yahweh, he brought us out, withdrew us, and delivered us away from the religious and political oppression out of the house of slavery. Then they set out and they moved on from Sukkah and they camped out in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Yahweh walked in their presence during the day with a cumulonar, uh, a columnar cloud 
and led and guided them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to shine light upon them so that they could walk by day and by night, walking with God, walking home, walking away from religion and politics, hand in hand, moving on from Sukkah. It is the story of the Yatza Exodus. It is the story of the Torah, the story of Yahweh liberating and caring for his people. It is the day that he has invited you to celebrate. Now, should you choose to become a member of his covenant, to accept the conditions of his covenant, and to attend his Moed Mikre, beginning with Chag Matzah in the spring, with Pesach, Matzah, and Bakodam, being enriched and empowered after we have been made immortal, perfected, and adopted. Then on Shabuah, enriched, empowered, emancipated, and enlightened, so that we're prepared to doing what we're doing now on Teruah, to call out a warning and to invite God's people, the remnant of his people, to celebrate the Day of Reconciliations, Kaporam, which we celebrated last week, leading all of us to the opportunity to camp out with our Heavenly Father and an earth restored to the conditions of Eden, this occurring in the fall, October, actually October 7th at sunset, in Jerusalem, in October 7th, 2033. The date is nigh. It will be too late for you by that date, the last remaining opportunity to leave religion and politics and to reach out and grasp hold of Yahweh's hand, call him out by name, will be Yom Kippurim in year 6,000, Yah, 2033, 11 years from now. So we invite you to listen to your God, to observe the Torah, to answer his invitations, and to ultimately follow the path that he provided for his children as he led them out of the crucibles of religious and political oppression and walked with them to their home. So my pleasure to be with you this evening. Thank you for uh, listening. We look forward to being with you uh, next week. Don't know exactly when we will uh, return to um, Daniel because there are some really interesting answers that have been provided. But I can assure you that we will return back to the uh, eighth volume of Yada Yah, where we were learning marvelous things about the nature of our relationship with God and specifically the story of, of God's relationship with his people. We were in the midst of, of analyzing what God had to say through Hosha, which I think is, is the most relevant prophet pursuant mm-hmm. uh, to Yisrael. And the um, uh, the long uh, relationship that uh, has uh, gone through a period of an extended timeout, of an estrangement, of a divorce. 
But there will be a reunion, and that reunion is Kippurim. And God has a lot to say about specifically why he had to separate himself from his people and specific to what they must do to re-enter his family. And that is back in the book of Hosha. And I think that's a good place for us to, uh, to return uh, for a while. So we wish you a very pleasant, enjoyable celebration of Sukkah and look forward to being with you this time next week. May God bless. Good night. Good night. Good night, guys. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.